I'm gonna start recording. How are you how are you looking over there? Yeah, I just started recording now. All right. Well, we'll do the uh, three, two, one, clap countdown, and then I'll okay. get started. There we go. Okay. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome back, intrepid space adventurers, science fiction aficionados, science fantasy lovers, and of course, everyone who loves great literature and the masters of American letters. It is your host, Dr. Daniel Dottie, coming to you with, um, uh, as always, with my estimable co-host. Estimable? Ah, I don't even know. I'm, I'm tossing at least $10 words at the top, and I, I don't even know what they mean. Anyway, I'm here with Ronnie Gardagi. Ronnie, how you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Excellent, excellent. And welcome to Thronderdome, a Star Wars novels podcast where we recap uh, Timothy Zahn's Thrawn trilogy uh, for you. And uh, also have you know little discussions, digressions. We appreciate the the art that Timothy Zahn has uh, has created for us. And if you've been listening, you know the last couple episodes we've had access to an incredible resource, and that is Timothy Zahn's own thoughts on his own work. We we were reading off of a a special edition that came out uh, fifteen or twenty years ago, <laughs> which is how old we all are. I guess it was I guess it was like ten years ago. Um, that uh, had uh, special endnotes from Timothy Zahn, offering some little insights uh, here and there, and also from his editor. Um, and that was available as an ebook that I had checked out from the library. And silly me, I should have known that... Really, Ronnie, this is on me, because I should have known that Zahn fever was going to sweep the nation as soon as we started this podcast. Um, but the sad truth is, I went to go consult my ebook to look at the notes of what uh, Mr. Zahn had to say, and the single digital scare quotes copy that was uh, available through our library system was checked out to someone else. Uh, so I had to put myself on the wait list for the special edition of Heir to the Empire, the special 20th anniversary edition of Heir to the Empire. Never thought I'd be saying that sentence, but... So that does mean that for today's episode, we're flying blind. It's, it's death of the author day here on Thronderdome. We, we do not have the author's input and interpreting the work, so I, just gonna I, have to I, have a, I have a question. Uh, <laughs> yes. Why is there only one copy of an ebook? Oh, buddy, uh, I I could go for a long time on this. The long story short is that it's a manner of the publishing companies being able to make more money than they, you know, technically would be making it's the the idea is that you uh for this particular service that the library subscribes to you 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 purchase digital copies quote unquote uh so that basically you have the license to have however amount of uh digital copies of the book circulating amongst your patrons at any given time so the library will purchase multiple copies of say a new john grisham or something like that that's going to be high demand so we can have a lot of people reading it at once um for something like heir to the empire 20th uh, anniversary edition we just had the one copy um the you know what's really funny too is that uh, not only do does the service limit how many quote-unquote copies are available to the borrowing public at any given time the publishers will also expire a, a digital copy after a certain number of circulations to sort of reflect the nature of physical books where we have to buy a new one if the old one gets worn out from being checked out too many times 
So what you're saying is that ebooks are uh, intentionally not having the advantages of being an actual ebook. Yes, it is. Um, well, it's it's an imposed artificial scarcity on a non-scarce digital object. So in a way, you know, these borrowing ebooks from the library is like NFTs. So that's pretty hep and cool, right? Everybody, everybody loves NFTs. Heir to the um, Empire should have like a a monkey on it, on the cover. <laughs> the, uh, the 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 board Thrawn's yacht club. Um, <laughs> Hey, that's the first time yachts are going to come up on, on the episode, but not the last. Uh, so compounding my failure, uh, everybody out there, this is a real, this is a real struggle session for me. All right. I'm, I'm wearing the hair shirt. I got the, uh, you know, I got the flagellum out. I'm, I'm whipping myself here. Not only did I drop the ball on the ebook, I also left my hard copy of the book, uh, in my office at work because I was reading, because I was trying, because I was being prepared I was reading, uh, I was finishing up the read. I was reading it again, actually. I was reading our portion uh, for a second time uh, on my lunch break to have it really fresh in my mind, and I ended up leaving it in my office. So I am actually bereft of any notes or a text to consult. So on today's episode of Thronderdome, where we are covering chapters 14, 15, and 16, it is up to our intrepid... Uh, uh, co-host and co-pilot, the Chewy to my Han Solo, <laughs> Ronnie Kardaki, to uh to cover the synopsis. Which up till now, I think I've I've handled that. Just uh, that's always been me, right? Have we done an episode where you did most of the synopsis? I did one chapter, uh, but I think that's it. Okay, okay. Well, this is well, this is terrific. This is a uh, we can think of this as a special episode where Ronnie gets to stunt all over what a failure I am. And also gets to to take the lead in the in the synopsis. Yeah, I don't know how much uh, how much uh, editorial insight I get in terms of like what these episodes are going to be titled, but I think this one should definitely be titled "Daniel's Folly." <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm writing that down right now. Daniel's Folly. This this the yeah this this will go down as. Uh, let me just say I'm gonna be I'm gonna be trying to 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 live this down for a while. But uh, in any case, you, the listener, didn't come. The listeners didn't come here to listen to me beat myself up about what a terrible job I did. Uh, I mean, if, if anything, they tune in to listen to me talk about how great I am. But since we can't do that today, we should get into the ostensible main point of this podcast, which is recapping Heir to the Empire by Timothy Zahn, chapters 14, 15, and 16. And Ronnie, take it away, buddy. Okay, so chapter 14 starts out with Lando being uh, pretty miffed about the 51 mole miners that got uh, stolen from him by the Imperial forces. Uh, and, and, then it, and then it's followed up by... Uh, there, there's, but before I uh, get ahead of myself, I, I want to note a, uh, a classic Zahn uh, character description. Uh, he refers to... Uh, Lando's black cloak billowing behind him like a tame storm cloud. Now, I want to know what a tame storm cloud is. Because wouldn't that just be yeah. a cloud? That's just a cloud. You would say it's billowing behind him like a storm cloud. I guess it's tame because it's like tethered to his neck as a cloak. Uh, yeah, that's that's an odd one. Well, but I, I, well, the thing is, you know, it's funny that uh, that Mister Zahn used up all of his descriptive power in that paragraph on 
Uh, oh, no, wait, actually, the one I'm thinking of comes later. This next chapter. So I'll, we'll save it. We'll save it for then. But anyway, yeah, Lando's miffed. I guess to recap, or not not recap, but to, to let the listeners know where we ended off last time, there was a uh, a hit and, another hit and fade. Excuse me, I almost said hit and run, but that's not what they say in Star Wars. There was another hit and fade attack on, uh, on Lando's planet where Imperial forces uh, simultaneously uh, were trying to... Well, I guess they didn't know Leia was there. That was all kind of an accident. Uh, but they, they hit Lando's planet to steal his mole miners for part of Thrawn's plan and then found out that Luke Skywalker and Leia were there. So that was a whole to-do. And anyway, yeah, we're back. Uh, you know, they, they, the heroes saved the day. But now, Lando, what's he going to do about his damn business? But it, actually, it, it's kind of funny because he starts off the chapter all pissed off, but then he immediately uh, realizes that he's being a bad host. So he... He's like, well, welcome to Nucleon. Uh, how, how are you enjoying things? And uh, we get into this little backstory about like how he created uh, Nucleon. And Lando talks a lot about how he uh, he found uh, plans for for this type of city in the Cloud City files. And we get the we had classic uh, classic Star Wars name drop of Lord Ecclesis Fig. I think it's it's pronounced. Yeah, yeah. That was um that was a bit of a try hard Star Wars name, I felt. Yeah, we, we get we get so much more uh like name drops of stuff. Like we got the, the hot interplanet miser and we've also got uh the Ugonauts that are apparently the ones yes. doing the mining. Yeah, those are the little uh, gremlin dudes uh, on Cloud City. Uh, if you remember Empire Strikes Back, uh, Lando apparently ran a kind of little slave state with these little uh, trolls doing all the work and his uh, his slave cyborg. I mean, that's that's the character ambiguity with Lando. Like, he's charming and all, but he's also running a, a slave outfit. He's a, Yeah, he's, he's charming and all, but he's also a, a, a just... He loves running businesses in the most dangerous planets in the, the galaxy, I guess. And he loves creating planets, because, like, it's it's talked about how, like, New Gun's, like, his project and all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway. yeah he's, he's, re- he's very proud of it. I, well, I guess it's Mr. Fig's ideas, but Lando really, you know, made, made it work by using walkers instead of wheels. So that was one of the bit Han, Han notes that, like, ah, it would be hard to have a wheeled mobile city on the planet so you know there was lando's bright idea but a lot of uh chapter 14 is just getting all the characters up to date on the rest of the plot like you've got lando finding out why they're why they're all here which is for han and leia it's because they think there's a a leak in the old in the new republic and they want to want to like uh tap into some of Lando's contacts in, in that regard. Whereas, uh, whereas Luke wants to find out what that little piece of space garbage was that he found in the swamp. And, uh, and the, the answer is more amazing than you could ever consider. Actually, no, it's not. (laughs) It's, it's, it's a transmitter. It's basically, uh, a carrier. It's like a, it transmits a carrier signal. Well, I think it was also like it's like the keychain fob for a spaceship, right? From what it I has like from what I understood, it's like a like if you 
uh, signal it, the spaceship comes to you. Yeah, yeah, it's got the little buttons on there for you to, to call the spaceship to you and stuff, yeah. And and there's a whole thing about how, like, apparently uh, Yoda must have must have had it uh, in order to, like, fight the dark Jedi in the cave, and I, I couldn't really make heads or tails of it. I mean, yeah, there's a there, lot of it, there's a lot of discussion of this. There's discussion around it that oh, this must be the from the spaceship that the Bufashi Dark Jedi used to escape to Dagobah. And there's an interesting point in this chapter that I remember, and I think it, it might be a little later. It's all part of this discussion, but apparently, like, it's a secret that Yoda was on Dagobah. Like, Luke has like kept that secret from everybody for five years. Because, like, Leia's like, oh, my gosh, he was on Dagobah? And Luke was like, yes, that's where Yoda's training site was. They were like, that's your secret training site? And, like, I, is that supported in the text of the films at all? Was Did nobody know where Luke was? I guess it's a case of, like, Luke is trying to keep all the Jedi information as close to the vest as he possibly can. I guess so, yeah. That I guess that does make sense. And, and I guess at no point in the movies does anyone specifically say, Hi, Luke, how was Dagobah? So, you know, so, T- so Timothy Zahn couldn't use it that way. <laughs> also, I think Timothy Zahn's like me in that he hasn't, like, seen uh, Empire Strikes Back in, like, five years, so he's kind of winging it in terms of, like, what stuff was in the movie and what is he just making up. That's a really good point. I, I will have to find out in the in the author notes or something to see like did you know did uh, because this did was, this was have access because this was nineteen ninety. This was well before the advent of home video. <laughs> I don't know about that, man. I was watching home videos in nineteen ninety. Well, maybe for like Plastic Fantastic Madison Avenue types like you, but <laughs> for a struggling author, I I yeah. doubt it. Yeah, I mean a VHS a VHS tape of a of a big movie still would have been pretty expensive at this point. Uh, you're right. So I I would wonder if you know did they just like send him a dusty old copy of scripts and it's like here you go, idiot, or did he have, actually have like screening copies of the movies to pour over, or maybe he just maybe he just relied on the the audio the audio cassettes that he made himself and made everyone listen to on car trips that we learned about. I mean, I wouldn't put it past George Lucas to nickel and dime. Uh... Timothy's on. Anyway, uh, this discussion of the little key fob turns to discussion of finding a slicer, which you'll remember is the uh, Star Wars term for hacker. Yeah. Uh, and this is when we this is this is when it's all falling into place because we finally get uh, the main characters finding out who Talon Card is. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I think, yeah, this is the first time they've uh, talked about that. But yeah, of course, Lando has contacts with Talon Card. Yeah, and and uh, and my favorite part of the chapter, I, I don't know, I don't know if I can speak for you, Daniel, is the fact that they name check Dravis as a character I don't think yeah, we've they... seen since like <laughs> chapter two, if any, if if at all. Yeah, he made well. He he made his appearance in in chapter two, and then uh, you know he he was talked about a little bit, and this this is him coming up again. I don't know. Maybe he'll come back in the in the trilogy. I, I know everyone just can't get enough of Dravis. We we love Dravis on this uh, podcast. I mean, there are no small characters in Star Wars. That's right. That's right. 
Anyway, they talk everyone about... has a destiny. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say everyone has a destiny in Star Wars. Except for Wedge. <laughs> That's right. He's, he's the one normal guy. He's, he's the Millhouse. He's the Jerry Seinfeld. That's right. That's right. Uh, anyway, they, they start discussing uh, about how Talon Card is like an honest smuggler. And, you know, Lando doesn't really know him that well. But, uh, you know, he, he's a cool dude. And I bet he has a lot of cool, uh, cool ships with uh, cool names. Like Wild Card and uh, House of Cards and, and so on. <laughs> and uh, Christmas Card. So this really comes to nothing. I mean, I this is like transparently just Timothy Zahn trying to trying to like connect Talon Card's disconnected storyline to like the main characters. Uh, yeah, yeah. So then it's followed up by them discussing like, okay, what do we do with Leia? Because obviously there are people that are trying to kill Leia, as evidenced by previous chapters. So. We need to hide her somewhere where she can also, like, do Senate business. And, uh, before, uh, before we come to the ultimate solution, uh, I think Lando suggests, like, uh, her, like, being kept underground on Nucleon or something? Yeah, so they, they suggest, uh, so remember the planet that we're on is one where the sun, it's so close into the sun that if you're on the, the, the sunny side, you will be cooked instantly. So that's why the city is on walkers, so it can stay in the shadow side. Um, but yeah, so Han's original plan was like, oh, we just get a shuttle or a hab pod and bury it in the scorching desert. <laughs> so uh, that, that, that one does not go over all that well because, of course... Leia still needs to be able to keep tabs on diplomatic business by listening to the ticker tape. So, you know, no, no dice, Han. Sorry. Yeah, there's a line that says, uh, we'd be completely out of touch with Coruscant for a minimum of 45 days, and they'd be there for, like, 90 days, so it's kind of pointless. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway uh, Chewbacca actually has a suggestion. Uh, it's kind of rare that uh, Chewbacca actually plays an active part in the plot. Usually he's just yeah yeah you know he's just saying shit to to Han and and uh, Han is sort of translating via his reactions. But uh, Chewbacca suggests that Leia go to uh, Kashak, which is the Wookiee home planet, and uh, yes, nerds might remember that originally in Return of the Jedi, probably when it was called Revenge of the Jedi, that uh, originally that. Uh, movie was going to take place partially on Kashyyyk, but then uh, George Lucas decided why uh, why sell uh, Wookiee uh, merchandise when you can sell Wookiee merchandise and a completely new kind of monster merchandise, and thus created Ewoks. That's right, but the beloved Ewoks uh, that are just like Wookiees but shorter. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely a, a choice. So, uh, but hey, you know what? We're here talking about Ewoks 60 years later, or however long it's been. So, you know, maybe George was... I, I, always, I, always, I always like the, the contention that they're supposed to represent the Viet Cong, because that means <laughs> that you have, to, you have to accept that the, that the uh, Vietnamese freedom fighters were also cannibalistic teddy bears. 
Yeah, or, it's a bit of a. Um, it's kind of what it was the kind of uh, the kind of racism that's like like patronizing and condescending, like not like overtly uh, negative, but still kind of like patting them on the head. It's kind of it's kind of the vibe. No, it, it's uh, it's good racism as opposed to the prequel trilogy, which had bad racism of the uh, Chinese <laughs> Trade Confederation right. and the uh, the Jewish merchant. That's right, yeah. Yeah, it's a long-running anti-Semitic stereotype that Jews have little wings. Little bat wings. So, you know, pretty obvious. Speaking of uh, enslavement, though, uh, we get this line where where, uh, where Han uh, explains that that uh, actually uh, the Wookiees aren't that uh, hostile to humans. And, and in fact, the Wookiees were friendly enough to humans before the Empire came and started enslaving them. Which... I think it's yeah. a pretty big caveat. Yeah, that does seem, especially given that like the, and it's already been broached in this text that the empire was kind of human supremacist, right? Like, cause that's why it's a big deal that Thrawn rose as high in the ranks as he did because he was a non-human alien. Um, so that does seem like a pretty like, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> it seems like the more relevant thing than like, oh, well before humans enslaved them, they were actually very friendly to humans. And then that made me think about, like, were there any other Wookiees in uh, the original trilogy? And then I started thinking about the Star Wars Holiday Special, because that was the only other time you saw other Wookiees. And yep. like, yeah, that, that is... And like, yeah. and, like, there's no discussion there about, like, hey, Chewie, remember when, uh, remember when your dad used to be a slave? <laughs> right. Or remember... And I think it is... I. I will not look it up because remember, folks, this is a no Wikipedia podcast. We do not do research. We do not prepare other than reading the text. Because again, death of the author, also death of the franchise. Um, so I will not be consulting anything to look this up, and I do not expect to be corrected or for anyone to inform me of it. But I believe that Han Solo met Chewie through rescuing him from slavery, and that's why they're best buds with a life debt. I seem to recall that's what's going on with them. I can't remember anything from that solo uh, movie. <laughs> I, well, this wouldn't have been from the solo movie. I, I remember this from like reading like the the. Uh, well, I didn't actually read them, but there was like the early the pre Zon Star Wars novels. There was a series of like Han Solo's adventures before he met Luke uh, that I think covered some of that stuff. Uh, those come out in like the early '80s. I want to say early to mid '80s. Literally, the only thing I remember from that solo movie is how he got his last name, which is that he doesn't have any family, so that means he's solo. And also, Woody Harrelson was in it, <laughs> directed by Ron Howard. Uh, yeah, directed. I guess you could say that. He stepped in to 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 you know put, piece it all together. I think, but he gets a director credit, and that's good enough for me. Yeah, he stepped in when uh, noted anti-Castro Phil Lord uh, departed the project. Hmm, yeah. But anyway, this is not a movie podcast. We'll we'll get back to the novels. (laughs) Sorry, I I was just trying to think about if I knew any any other uh, Wookiee knowledge, but I guess not. we we get some uh, we get some background information about Kashek, basically that that they live in trees, hundreds of meters above the ground, 
And apparently there's lethal ecology, which I realize, well, you know, there's lethal ecology on Earth, too, so yeah. it's not really that much more dangerous. I mean, there's probably, like, poison dart frogs on Kashak too. <laughs> yeah, but they're the, they're the size of Great Danes, you know. Really Star Wars it up. Dude, that would be awesome. That would imagine be having cool. like a, I'd, I'd be down with some poison dart imagine frogs. Imagine having a poison dart frog that's like the size of a dog that would just like <laughs> get you your get you the, your slippers and your newspaper. Anyway, that'll always be the dream. Anyway, anyway. Uh, enough enough tangents. We need to we need to get back to the zon of it all, which is uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which is basically Chewie will will go with Leia to Kashak. Uh, Han can't join her because Han's going to make it so that it seems as though she's still on the Millennium Falcon with him. And uh, Leia Leia thinks about asking Luke, but then uh, then we get this line: uh, Leia looked at Luke, the obvious suggestion coming to her lips, and then dying there unsaid. Something in his face warned her not to ask him to come with them. And uh, we'll we'll find out uh, shortly why uh, Luke doesn't want to join. Oh, uh, yes, yes, that's right. But we get the, the, the strangest thing uh, about this, which is uh, how, how Han seeks to fool uh, the Imperials or, or anybody else... Uh, about uh, the whereabouts of Leia, which is uh, basically hack C-3PO in order to give her Leia, give him Leia's voice. Yes. So they're gonna which, have yeah they're gonna have C-3PO call back it to to Coruscant and impersonate Princess Leia so that they think she's on the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. It's like is that really what you're gonna do with your incredibly intelligent robot man? You're basically, you're basically just gonna have him do a prank phone call. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's a, it's a prank phone call with uh, with dire diplomatic consequences. Should anyone ever find out uh, what was going on there? So Luke uh, informs Leia about the fact that he was touched by a. Okay, that's bad phrasing. Uh, I was going to say touched by a Jedi Master, but that's not actually. Yeah, it's not. It, he he was uh, a a Jedi Master reached out to him uh, psychically, and uh, that's right. Then Leia brings up the fact that there's been uh, some some knowledge about uh, some rumors about uh, Kabath, Joris Kabath, uh, rumors that. He's reemerged from wherever it is he's spent the last few decades. Yes, and then, and then, uh, I like when uh, Leia asks if if, if uh, Luke has heard the rumor, and Luke just says no, and like, well, your your rumor mongering isn't really successful if the one guy you want to know the rumor about uh, doesn't find out about it. <laughs> Right, like everyone else, everyone else but him knows it. Yeah, I thought that was really funny. This is the first time that Luke has heard of it all, and so far it's got like Wedge knows about it before Luke does. 
which is funny. But of course, I guess Wedge is a notorious gossip. That, that again, that does seem like a very like. So Thrawn is all about like precision in his plans, right? To the to the point where they have to like time out how long a spaceship is going to take to travel to a planet to like ambush it properly and all that. But like, it all depends on this one guy hearing this one bit of a rumor that you sewed somewhere, I guess we never even find out how the hell did wedge hear about it. Like it just, it just sort of like all of a sudden people are talking about, Hey, you ever heard of this Joris Cabell? Well, he's back. You know, I, I was reminded of that, uh, Simpsons joke where, uh, Patty and Selma want to, want to spread the word that, uh, that Marge is pregnant. So they go like to, to Aaronson <laughs> at the beginning of the, the directory. And then, uh, yeah, there's Zabowski a fade at, to, the, to, at the end of the yeah. at the end of the at the end of the directory. It's like those are the two biggest gossips in the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, Aaron, Aronson and Zabowski. They'll, they'll, they'll everyone will hear about it. <laughs> Leia says that uh, you know tells Luke that you know this might be a trap and and uh, helpfully reminds him that. Uh, that don't forget that Yoda wasn't counting them, the Dark Jedi. Both Vader and the Emperor were still alive when he said you were the last Jedi. Which uh, just just seems to me is just being unhelpful. Like, the fact that, that Dark Jedi yeah. don't count technically. Yeah, it's, it's a very... And also, I think... And here we have another thing that Zahn does. Which is, like, he's clearly he's clearly leaning on particular bits of dialogue from the original trilogy to like have some great portentous meaning for the setting. And like, I don't think Yoda said those things because in the conception George Lucas had, he wouldn't count Darth Vader and, and, and the emperor as Jedis. I think he said that because George Lucas forgot that those guys were Jedis. Like it's not, it's, 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 it's not, it's not, and this happens all the time in Star Wars stuff, right? We've already talked about it on the show, but, like, half of all the Star Wars extended universe stuff is trying to come up with, like, a convoluted reasoning why some tossed-off line of dialogue that George Lucas wrote in a cocaine jag in 1976 is actually a coherent thing. It's, uh, yeah, the tradition continues. Uh, just, like, the idea that, that Luke is the last Jedi excluding the ones that are dark Jedi that are also alive just reminds me of, uh, in baseball this year when like everyone was, uh, really excited about Aaron judge because he was going to break up, break the American league home run record for a single season. And it's like, yeah, well there's, that's not the record for, for like all of baseball. You're, you're really just, (laughs) Really, just hedging things. <clears throat> we get uh, we get C three PO bitching about how he about how his uh, how his bimbo fied voice is a serious violation of his primary programming. But uh, as always in Star Wars, no one cares about the rights of robots, so they just uh, that's right. You know, change change his voice to a lady's. And uh, we get we get you know the non joke of uh, Leia shaking your head and it's like, do I really sound like that? And bam, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's 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 time for chapter fifteen. 
<laughs> we just go right in. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, we start off with the with the perspective on Han. Uh, they're taking a journey out from uh, Nucleon. Uh, the the uh, the three ships of theirs uh, uh, reached the shield ship depot without incident and made a short hyperspace jump together to the outer fringes of the Athaga system. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and here we get uh, Lando's yacht-style ship, the Lady Luck. And now I'm, <laughs> I'm asking you, uh, listener, to imagine a yacht. Imagine what a yacht looks like, and then imagine that as a spaceship. Because uh, uh, that's all we're getting, by the way, in terms of description. Which is, again, like, you can get away with that for things like Star Destroyer and X-Wing. Because we saw the movies. No one has seen Lando's spaceship. We don't know what it looks like. You gotta give us something. And all he gives us is yacht style. <laughs> it's his yacht style ship. Lady Luck. Uh, now the thing is, I think I mentioned I mentioned in the chat, Ronnie, that I actually do know what the Lady Luck looks like because I remember it from the complete the Star Wars complete guide to vehicles and ships. So it looks like a yacht as a, as a youngster. Um, yeah, I mean it just it kind of it's like a it's kind of streamlined, so it's got like a streamlined look, uh, and it has like little wings on the back with like nacelles coming on on the tips of those wings. So, you know, a little more of a classic rocket ship sort of look uh, to it. But uh, but with like kind of like a, uh, you know, like an airplane, uh, like a, a airplane cockpit kind of looking uh, front to it. Not, not the most inspired of, spaceship design, I'll, I'll say. Speaking of classic, we get some classic uh, Han Lando backstory. The the kind of backstory that you, you'll love to hear, which is uh, the... You know, this reminds me of that thing we did that one time. Uh, in this case, uh, <laughs> Lando is like, it'll be fine. Everything's going to be fine. It's like, you know, that's almost exactly the same thing you said back on Bordy. He reminded Lando yeah. sorely. That botched Dolphrimia run. Remember? You said, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Now, I, <laughs> I would be remiss if there's not a... Uh, a Han Solo Adventures book about the Dolphrimia run. I would, I would hope so, definitely, yeah, or at least like a, a Star Wars tabletop RPG campaign or something. I my my hope with the Star Wars expanded universe is that literally everything that's ever alluded to in Star Wars has its own book or story or trading card or RPG campaign. Yeah, I I think we're pre- they were pretty close to it before the uh, the conclave of Disney Star Wars bishops declared everything non-canon back in 2014 or 15 or whenever. Before the Great uh, Cleansing? Be- be- yeah, before the Great Cleansing when we all got ready for our favorite character, Captain Phasma. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. The stormtrooper that, the, the- that looks slightly different. Yeah, the, the, the sort of neat costume with nothing going on as an actual character. See, the thing is, you can not you can only do that once, and that's Boba Fett, right? You, you, you don't get to do that again. Anyway, but to continue with our story, we're on the... Yeah, Han and, Han and Lando are on the Lady Luck, uh, and they have C-3PO impersonating Han's wife, 
which sounds funny. Um, and then it's, it really uh, sounds like the part of a Star Wars sitcom. Yeah, like <laughs> like someone's put a bounty out on Leia, so now C three PO has to impersonate her. Right, and and then like C three PO comes out. He's like uh, he's like uh, uh, like someone is like coming to over for dinner. It's like Han Solo's boss, and he has to and C three PO has to pretend to be Leia, uh, even with you know, like the voice thing. And so to to be like a silhouette, he like panics and puts a couple cinnamon buns against his head to appear as the silhouette, like in shadow. Like, hey, I'm Leia. That would be great. That's a great bit. Ah. Oh. And then, and then this. he, he and then he and he and Han are sleeping in the same bed for some reason. It's like the, <laughs> yes. the kind of weird sitcom <laughs> contrivance that you that you wonder why anyone's doing any of this. Right? Like, why is the robot even sleeping? What to begin with? No, that's terrific. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, they they uh, plan to have uh, C three PO uh, send out a message as Leia. Uh, we get some. We get some more banter. Uh, we get some more banter between Han and, and Lando because Lando's always got something up his sleeve. Because that's the one thing that Lando does is have business opportunities. And uh, and in this case, uh, Lando suggests like, I thought we might take another crack at uh, at getting in touch with Talon Card. Yeah. And uh, and because. Uh, uh, because Lando points out, you know, it's two birds with one stone because they want cargo ships and they want a slicer. Card can supply yes. both. Han points out that, you know, he doesn't need a slicer anymore because Leia's safe. And Lando uh, rebuts his point with like, well, you know, she's safe for now. But uh, there are non-Wookiee tra- traders flying in and out of Kashek all the time. All it takes is one person spotting her. And and then this like just made me think about like, you know, maybe if she changed her fucking hair, it'd be harder to spot her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's, she's a, just kind of you know a petite a petite brunette woman. Like you can probably tuck her away somewhere. It's like literally the one person in the galaxy that has that hairstyle. Yeah. Of course they're gonna find her. Okay. Uh. uh Fortunately, uh, lest this chapter get uh, unexciting, we uh, shift perspective to uh, Gen- Admiral Thrawn. I don't know why I keep on thinking yes. he's General Thrawn. I mean, must be mixing up uh, something, you know, something in my you head. Know, but... yeah, head. Head honcho military guys, you know. Commander Thrawn, I don't know. Yeah, uh, so Pelion informs him that uh, one of their probes in the outer Athiga system... Uh, and always, I want to like say Atari system has picked up Skywalker <laughs> and his companions. And I just love the way they, the way Zahn, uh has Thrawn respond with and and being in uh, in italics his companions. Thrawn echoed thoughtfully, which of course made me think of the classic Mister Show sketch about. Uh, the young people and their companions going missing, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, we get something interesting. We get something interesting because uh, we get we get uh, a data card, and uh, apparently on this data card is like I don't know replay of a video or something yeah. or coordinates. I don't know. 
But but it, it does bring up the fact that they have like uh, they have peripheral media of some sort. Because uh, I know yeah, yeah. previous episodes we were discussing, you know, are there books and tapes in the Star Wars universe? <laughs> now these data cards I find uh, more plausible than uh, than tapes. Sure, sure. Like a, a solid state format that, that would seem to fit with the overall technology aesthetic going on. And then this is where I kind of get confused with the chapter because we get sort of like thrown like gaming out like the the classic like uh, chicken fox and grain of feed uh, story yeah. problem. Yeah, this this one was okay. So there's this. So they have like basically they have security cam footage of the uh, the Lady Luck and the Millennium Falcon parting ways, right? And Thrawn, I thought this was among and there, there's a very funny Peleon like or or to a bit about Peleon after all this that I think was a bit of a reach by Mister Zahn, but uh, Timothy Zahn has uh, almost like uh, Sherlock Holmes style has Thrawn reasoning out from this very scanty evidence that, aha, they split up uh, Han, uh, Solo, and Leia, so they're not going to be on the same ship, so one must be on the other. There was time to see the ships were docked for so many seconds, which meant time enough for three people to, to move among them. So it must, therefore, it must be that Chewie and Leia are on the Lady Luck, and Han and, and Lando are on the Millennium Falcon. QED. Ergo, um, and the way he gets there is like I'm with you. Like it, it does not actually like hold up. But there's a line that says like Peleon, although he was a bit befuddled, can't, couldn't argue against the iron tight logic or some shit. <laughs> it's like, no man, this is all a reach. Like there's no no. But anyway, their their whole charade is for naught because freaking Grand Admiral Thrawn is the ultimate chess master, baby. He figured you out before you even figured it out. I like how uh, Thrawn immediately sees through the C-3PO feint, which is, uh, you got play on, uh, play on saying, uh, you know, uh, Leia remained on board the Millennium Falcon because uh, uh, we inter- intercepted a transmission from her that definitely originated from the Millennium Falcon. Thrawn shook his head. A recording, he said, his voice leaving no room for argument. <laughs> Which I love the editorializing on that. Uh, no, they're cleverer than that. A voice for Dr. Droid, then. Probably yeah, yeah. Skywalker's C-3PO uh, protocol droid. It's like... Yeah, it is... It is It is kind of funny, though, that apparently, like, you... Like, the whole galaxy knows who your boys are. They know who your posse is. So they know exactly what, you know, you're capable of at any given time. They're like, oh, word, he has that 3PO droid who hangs out. So it could be that guy. <laughs> that, that that connects to another line of this chapter that I love, which is uh, uh, play on suggesting, like, maybe one of the transfers was a was a droid. And, and Thrawn goes, unlikely. Historically, Solo has never liked droids, nor allowed them to travel yeah. on a ship, except under highly unusual circumstances. <laughs> I'm just Which, imagining again, like this... like some some Empire file on Han Solo like on, on the like notes section. It's like dislikes droids, 
will only travel with them if he has to. Right, right. Han Solo's only do this when they are very distressed. This whole this whole segment of the chapter is uh, Thrawn logicking out everything through dubious means. It's Thrawn does a very poor job of showing his work and like how he's able to make these uh, make these deductions. I do like when Pelayon uh, uh, plays devil's advocate to uh, Thrawn, where he says, uh, "May not be easy as it sounds, Admiral." Kashak's ecology can best be described as a weird death trap, and the Wookiees themselves are extremely capable fighters. And then Thrawn just uh, brushes this aside and is like, so are the Nagri. I was like, I yeah, don't know. yeah, yeah. The Nagri haven't been very successful lately. It's like yeah, saying, I mean, uh, the, the... It, it's like going, why, why would we need to worry about the Wookiees when we have all these stormtroopers? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, the the Nogri were able to best acquit themselves uh, in the amongst the Bims on Bimsari, who who don't strike me as nearly as impressive as uh, as Wookies. So you know, I don't know. Thrawn seems to have a lot of confidence in the in the Nogri. Uh, may, maybe it'll be borne out, but you know, so far, you know, no dice. So now that they've hashed that out, they have to figure out what to do with Skywalker, which they uh, realize is. Uh, who they realize is going to Joe Mark. Uh, yes. And, and Thrawn figures out, okay, we're going to set a trap for him. We're going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to need two more ships, an interdictor cruiser to bring Skywalker out of hyperspace where we want him and some kind of freighter, an expendable one, preferably. Uh, the, the logic being, uh, it's going to make it as though they're, they're investigating a, a suspicious freighter for rebel rebel munitions, and uh, that way they can keep their options open as to whether or not to like you know just kill Skywalker themselves or turn him over to Cabeth. Uh Yeah, yeah. And and then we finally uh, before we close the chapter out, we get uh, we get uh, more uh, art talk from uh, Thrawn. Because, oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, there's one uh, sculpture that's not a hologram, uh, and and Playon notices it when uh, like the lights are are off or whatever. Uh, and if you want to know how uh, how Zahn uh, describes art, it's uh, it slowly writhed on its pedestal like a wave in some bizarre alien ocean. Which I I don't know what that is. I'm imagining me. one of those. Um, I'm imagining one of those, like uh, you know, like executive office uh, doodads. Did Did you ever see the ones that were like uh, a bunch of like blue fluid in a uh, in a rectangle that was on a mounted on a fulcrum, so it kind of seesawed back and forth? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, that's that's all I get from that. <laughs> but yeah, this was a pretty good. I thought this was a pretty good Thrawn villain moment. And we talked a little bit about this in the chat leading up to the episode um, because, like, you know, Playon notices the artwork and he's like, oh, you know, what's that? And Thrawn is like, ah, yes, this was the the one time I couldn't completely psychoanalyze an entire species based on one example of its artwork. This one, I, I was never I was never able to figure them out. Um, and, you know, Playon kind of asks, somehow it comes around, I was like, oh, whatever happened with them? 
you know, or something, and Thrawn kind of narrows his eyes and is like, ah, yes, I had to destroy their whole planet. You know, so that's, yeah, that's I, what happens if Thrawn can't figure out the elegant way yeah, to the deal exact, with your art. Yeah, the exact quote is, I wound up destroying their world in, in I wound the same up. blissful voice. So like I for, wound for up Thrawn, destroying their for, world. For, for, for like Thrawn, this is the one that got away. Like yeah, it's it's yeah. ironic that 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 before uh, gave me no insight at all into its psyche. Now I believe I'm finally beginning to understand them. But you know it's all for naught because you know he destroyed them all. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little silly, but I think it's a good villain moment because um, so far Thrawn has been like. He's been there being impressive and not, you know, not specifically all that evil other than that he's an antagonist for our main characters, right? Like, we haven't really seen him do all that much evil guy stuff, but this kind of hints at some evil guy, you know, things in him. And I and I thought that was, I, I liked that as a narrative touch. It'll happen, they'll actually get a bit of that uh, in the next chapter as well. I, I, I agree with you. Uh, I think if they're going to go with the art thing... Like, this is a pretty uh, smart way to implement it. Um, yeah, yeah. So, chapter 16. And it also kind of shows, like, he has... Uh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it also shows that there are limitations to his masterful genius, which, you know, is kind of... After having after having sussed out the complicated plan simply from looking at some grainy security footage, I, I think that's good to take him down a peg. I just love the idea, like, piggybacking on what you said of like just Thrawn not being able to understand any of those like office doodads that executives have. <laughs> like he doesn't the, understand the, the balls, the clicking <laughs> balls or, or the thing where you, uh, the thing with the needles where you put your hand on it and it creates an imprint. <laughs> it baffles him. He does not know how, how to, how to analyze the psyche of the beings who would create such a thing. And, it, and meanwhile, he's like, hand him like, well, here's a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Admiral. Maybe you could read this and get it and comprehend them. Just just Thrawn watching uh, I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell and being befuddled. We'll <laughs> uh, be good. But yes, chapter 16. Because, I mean, that would be the art that, that uh, humanity would offer to, to Thrawn. Just like... Yeah, yeah. Office products and Tucker Max. Yeah, and then maybe a, a Thomas Kincaid painting. So anyway, chapter sixteen. Uh, this is this chapter is. Uh, I have less to say about it than other chapters because it's really like heavy on action sequences, which I find uh, difficult to like describe back to you, and also like you know, make funny. Uh, so yeah, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to be pretty brief. Uh, I just wanted to note that the chapter begins with, with the, uh, curious line. There was no dreaming in the Jedi hibernation trance, no dreaming, no consciousness, yes. virtually no awareness of the outside world. It was very much like a coma. In fact, except for one interesting anomaly, despite the absence of true consciousness, Luke's time sense still man, still somehow managed to function. Now to me that sounds like hell. Like I'm in a, yeah. I'm in a coma. I'm in a coma but I can I could sense the passage of time. 
right like you don't have any dreaming you don't have any like sensory input you're just it, it is it's it's it is hell it's being trapped in a in, in your own brain with nothing happening uh you're not even thinking it's very it's very odd i do wonder like all right this might be persnickety of me but if you're writing in omniscient third person voice right you're 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 writing your book the the point of view that the story is being told from is outside of the story. It's not the voice of any particular character or whatever. You can't throw in a word like one interesting anomaly, blah, 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 blah. Interesting to who? Who is having interest in it? That's not, you could just say that an aspect of this is XYZ. Interesting just feels like a weird editorializing. It's filler. It's a filler word. It's a filler word to make it seem more interesting than it is by just throwing the word interesting in there. I don't like it. I don't care for it. Anyway. Maybe maybe we'll get like a twist where it turns out that this uh, third person omniscient narrator is an actual character in the book. Oh yeah, maybe it's Winter. Yeah, we haven't, we haven't seen her, her in like eight, <laughs> eighteen chapters. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, so go through. Yeah, this is mostly a confusing space battle. So yeah, Ronnie, if you can just give us the uh, the the gist, I guess. I guess the gist is that, uh, you know, Luke has woken up from his, uh, his coma from, and, uh, immediately he's hearing like unidentified starfighter, a harsh voice boomed from the speaker. This is the Imperial Star Destroyer Chimera. Transmit your identification code and state your business. And, uh, Luke doesn't really know what to do. Uh, he he kind of he falls for the the staged ambush part of it. He's he's convinced like oh this is a you know I happened I happened to coincidentally run into uh, a, an imperial uh, you know smuggler stop you know something. He 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 buys it hook line and sinker. Well, Luke's kind of an idiot, so that's fitting. <laughs> that's true. That's 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 in keeping. I do like when uh, Luke mutters to himself, "Should have brought one of." Han's false ID codes with me. Which just makes me think that Han Solo just has, like, 15 fake IDs that he keeps around. Oh, when definitely. He has to, like, when he has to buy, like, uh, illegal space beer. Yeah. <laughs> like, the fringes. When there's, yeah, when there's some, uh, so, some Ewoks, uh, you know, want to uh, want to get some medical marijuana from the dispensary, Han sells them a fake ID. So, uh, they like, again, this is like kind of hard to parse because it's just a lot of not very well written action sequence. Uh, but basically the Luke has to prevent his X-Wing from, uh, getting caught in the tractor beam of the Star Destroyer. Uh, so we get a lot of, uh, pseudo... Some, some real hard sci-fi nonsense of yeah, yeah. of like uh, aerodynamics of like I want to drop it at zero delta V and then have it turn around and head straight aft. I don't even know what aft <laughs> means. I do think it's funny to have that kind of talk about delta Vs and stuff in the same chapter where you're talking about using your starship's etheric rudder. It's like I mean, come on! I, either either we're playing with fantasy physics, which we are, or like, you know, you don't have to get into like the Newtonian whatever of it if you're going to be. I don't know. It's weird, but yeah, he does some kind of maneuver that 
is apparently very jarring and destructive to his starship, but also uh, it shoots out a uh, photon torpedo that... Uh, I'm sorry, proton torpedo in Star Wars. Photon torpedo is in uh, Star Trek. But uh, that, So the tractor beam... It's it. He he shoots out a uh, a torpedo that the tractor beam catches, and it drags right back to the ship, and apparently blows up that tractor beam, uh, that tractor beam station. And then he but goes it does allow him to escape. Then, then he yeah, goes to light. He gets to speed. hop into light speed. Yeah. And then uh, and back on the ship is the is the next Thrawn villain moment, which I thought was pretty good. Um, and I, I, do you mind if I if I talk about this one and you can jump in and correct me if I if I get something wrong or you, you find the passage with the direct quote? Go ahead. Oh, okay, man. So uh, this is back on the the bridge of the starship. Of course, their their plan to capture Luke Skywalker has failed, and so Thrawn, you know, everybody's basically like tense, waiting for the you know the the fireworks to start, and Thrawn kind of coolly walks over to the tractor beam operator station. Uh, and, and harangues the the young guy there like so, what happened there, buddy? It messed up, huh? Uh, and so he kind of sputters that uh, well, nothing like this ever came up in his training, so he wasn't quite sure how to proceed with you know with finding the target again. Uh, and says, aha, so so who trained you? And it's Ensign so and so. Oh yeah, and like the the guy's name is Chris Peterson, which I, I was, was just funny. about to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 Chris it's Chris uh, C R I S and then P I E T E R S O N. So it's like yeah, trying to almost be Star Warsy, but it's still Chris Peterson. Not quite, many. Yeah, I'll be curious when I get my ebook back to see if there's a th- uh, a Zon note about that. So, uh, but anyway, he says, well, who were you trained by? And he identifies the, the ensign who trained him up and, and Thrawn gives him a dressing down. And then, uh, the, uh, he, he has the, uh, the poor kid who, who was never trained on how to, how to, you know, get your bearings again. If something like that happened, summarily executed, just has, you know, he gives the order, just blast him. And then has, you know, some, uh, some flunkies carry off the corpse. Um, did and you then get he, he goes, did, uh, did did you get the ensign's name? I forget the ensign's name. It was like Col- Coke Laser, Culture Rose, Coke Laser, Coke Laser, Coke Laser. Okay, all right. Zahn is, is not is not putting his best foot forward with these names in this chapter. No, Chris I, I imagine Coke this Laser. Is, I imagine this is another couple of people he knows from Tampa. Uh, like that, like that planet was named after, like Joe Mark is named after. Um, but, uh, but then it turns out that, uh, Thrawn is, is not quite as, uh, thwarted as everyone thinks, because it turns out that the little maneuver that Luke pulled is very damaging to a hyperspace drive. And so he won't be able to go very far. He'll, he'll be able to limp along, but he'll have to drop out of light speed pretty quick. Um, so he's not all is lost and they're going to have to, um, they're going to have to do their best to see what direction he was going in based on the records they had of his bearing before he jumped into light speed. And they're going to put out an APB of a bounty to all the smugglers, including Talon card. Uh, so they're going to put it out to all of the, those uh, smuggler operations. Hey, be on the lookout for this X wing headed in this direction. Must have had to drop out of light speed somewhere around here. Um, a bounty so, of, th- so a bounty really... of 30,000, which I guess yeah. you're supposed to, choose what currency you want it to be. I went it's, with Irish the, I went with Irish money. 
30,000 shamrocks. You know, they, they use the euro, dude. Irish money is the euro. <laughs> I mean the old Irish money, the Irish pound. Oh, okay, okay, I gotcha. This was um, made in 1990, Christ. That's true, that's true. Well, it's also in a galaxy a long time ago and a far, far away. So, you know, maybe, maybe they're using, like, uh, like Bronze Age uh, Irish uh, coins. You know, could be. Actually, I don't know if the Irish were using... No, that was an Iron Age thing and really only in Britain. I don't think the Irish did mint their own coins. Anyway, disregard that. Uh, point being, um, so it turns out that, like, you know, it's not completely... Like, Luke Skywalker isn't completely out of their clutches. They can probably pick him up again. So the uh, Palayan is actually a bit taken aback that he had that guy murdered over what turned out to be a a mistake that wasn't actually kind of, you know, plan ending. And I thought that was actually a, you know, for for all the corniness and the the weird names, um, or the names that aren't weird enough... Again, I thought this was a pretty good villain moment for Thrawn. It's it's showing he's you know fully in that imperial mode of uh, kind of rule through terror and dominance, and uh, you know brooking no uh, you know incompetence and in, in brutally crushing anyone who uh, who demonstrates it. Um, I have which, the line with me. I think you it's want a good... me to share. Oh, please do. Yeah, go. Uh, the Empire is at war, Captain. The Grand Admiral said, his voice cold. We cannot afford the luxury of men whose minds are so limited they cannot adapt to unexpected situations. Ah, when there you have it. Which which I think kind of goes a little bit against the grain of earlier in the book where Palan was talking about how all these all these recruits were really wet behind the ears, but you know, Thrawn seems to really work with them. Or something, but maybe maybe as he's getting more desperate in his, or not more desperate, but as his plan is coming closer and closer to fruition, he's getting a little more serious, and the uh, the brutality they, they is coming do, out. They do make the distinction in this chapter that the guy Chris Peterson, may he rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> may he rest was, in peace, Chris. Peterson. Was not was not recruited uh, by the Empire. He was a conscript. Now I'm uh, wondering if there's like a, a slight difference there, uh, even though. Yeah. Even though uh, Thrawn does ask, uh, does that make him less worthy of your training time than a normal enlistee? No, sir, Cocklaser. Zides flicked to Peterson. I've always tried to treat my subordinates equally. But I sort of thought it was an interesting wrinkle that, that okay, Chris Peterson was, you know, press-ganged into, into joining yeah, the Empire. Yeah, yeah. That is a yeah, an interesting interesting note. But uh, yeah, so that's so that closes out our uh, our, our chapters uh, for today. Uh, this episode is of course dedicated to the memory of Chris Peterson, um, beloved uh, level two tractor beam operator. Uh, he will live on forever in our hearts, and we will be building a little roadside memorial to him uh, uh, at the uh, the four fifty nine uh, the Acton Acton Road uh, exit here here in Birmingham. We're gonna give him a little. I'm gonna, little I'm gonna die laughing if it yeah. turns out that Timothy Zahn was just a big fan of Chris Elliott's TV show Get a Life, and that's why he named a character Chris Peterson. <laughs> we'll have to find out as soon as whatever whatever nerd who checked out my Star Wars book returns it, and I can look at the notes. I'm trying to do what a if podcast. What if, these what if he's also doing a podcast? Oh God. Oh no, you're right because this is a great idea with huge appeal. 
as has been shown, of course, by the show's uh, explosive growth, I can only assume. We were recording these actually before we've released any. I'm just thinking on... of, uh, of like, uh, The Simpsons, Lester and Eliza, the uh, <laughs> the kids that looked like a Tracy Ullman show, Bart and Lisa. And That's right, there's, yeah. There's just, like, weird-looking versions of us that are doing a Thrawn podcast, too. Yeah, it's uh, it's David Donkey and uh, and 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 Lonnie Gardner. Yes, <laughs> and I hate them, and we will have no truck with them. I will never do a crossover episode with their podcast. It will never happen. We will never appear yes. on a panel together at Comic Con, which I can only assume we'll be invited to after this. Not happening. Yes, please, please, listeners, never listen to Thrawn Rena. <laughs> Thrawn Rena by 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 Daniel Donkey and Lonnie Gardner are our sworn enemies. So, yeah, do not. But speaking of sworn enemies, now that we're done with the with the chapter wrap ups, it's time to move on to uh, our next segment in the show, where uh, Ronnie and I enter the Thronder Dome to engage in forensic combat, the the age old gladiatorial realm of debate that you may recall from preparatory school. That I'm sure you all attended, being well-educated listeners out there. That's right. It's time for us to enter the Thronderdome and determine once and for all whether tipping is good. So, uh, Ronnie, are you prepared to uh, to 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 uh, wet the sands with the blood of our brains with me? Yes. All right. Well, I will. Uh, I've taken the pro position, so I'll 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 start out there. I'll I'll. I'll uh, Plant my flag in favor of tipping. Um, now, uh, here's here's how I feel about uh, people in the service industry. If you're in the service industry, if you are a you know or uh, you know in food service, uh, you know hospitality, anything where like tipping is kind of expected in American culture, it's wonderful to have a temporary servant. I respect you so much for the fact that you wait on me hand and foot. And I love to do the thing where I put five crisp dollar bills on the table and take one away every time you displease me and put one back every time you refill my water before I even ask for it. That is one of the great pleasures of my life as, <laughs> as, a, as, a, uh, as someone who knows the value of a dollar and a hard day's work, uh, being a small business owner here, the proprietor of a podcast. Uh, there's nothing I love more than really kind of lording my economic superiority over my underlings. And tipping is a really great way to do that. I love to see the anxiety in a server's eyes as they're thinking about how they're going to make rent and realizing that it depends on my largesse. And uh, I would really love to keep that going. I, I, I think tipping is a wonderful aspect of American culture that uh, really allows the good and the great small business owners such as myself to display their magnanimity toward their uh, toward their inferiors who are, you know, some people are inferior and that's just the way it is. So I love tipping. I disagree with you. Uh, My first, (laughs) my first point is that uh, who's the best character in Reservoir Dogs? Steve Buscemi's Mr. Pink. Mr. Pink doesn't believe in tipping. Uh, Second, and, and that's the full. <laughs> okay. Second of all, I don't know no math. I don't know no numbers. I went to I went to college for the for the humanities. So 
you're asking me to like calculate 18% of something when I'm, you know, at a, at a movie or, or, or at a restaurant, I can't do that kind of math. What am I supposed to be carrying around a calculator at all times? No. <laughs> yeah, what is this? What what is this Star Wars where I can just carry a calculator around on my person at all times? Some kind of third some of kind all, of future world. Third of all, you know, okay, it sucks to be in the service industry, but you know, if you're living high on the hog with tips, you're never going to find a better job. You're gonna you don't want to find another <laughs> job because because you'll just be too. Too busy, uh, like, ooh, I got, I got a five dollar tip today. I'm gonna spend it all on malt liquor, or, mm, or you know, mm-hmm. pixie sticks or whatever it is. Uh, kids spend money on these days. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm old, so I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think really what we've discovered here is that I, I think we, we've have another uh, occasion where we realize we agree more than we disagree on this because I think we both respect tipping as a way to discipline the working class, you know, just, it's just in my, from, you know, I like to use it as the carrot, but you like to use withholding it as the stick. But at the end, we're really still all about uh, making that mule do whatever we please to serve us. So, you know, maybe we're not so different, you and I. Yeah. I mean, the thing about, I mean, you'll hear all these like liberals going like, well, you should treat, uh, servers you know well it's like well you know there's a reason that i'm the one being served and they're the one serving so it's like i mean come on it goes against it goes against the natural order and you don't you can't have that (laughs) and don't get me started on like those people that ask you to to tip when all they did is like punch a few numbers into a into a screen like, you know, at, at concession stands, like, get out of here. All you did was press no, a few buttons. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like you're spending... It's not like you're spending your day here, you know, getting treats for me, and, and that alone would be worth some kind of compensation. Like, no, I'm sorry. You, you just pressed a few buttons, no dice. Not, not happening. That's what your, yeah, substandard, you're kind of, you're kind of that's what your substandard wages are for. <laughs> your, your time which is legally allowed your, your hourly wage is legally allowed to be like a third of the federal minimum wage which is already an insult um and to be made up with with tips there like hey you, you're already being compensated for your time buddy you know it's baked in so i honestly yeah. don't see what they're all complaining about yeah it's like you know i don't make the policy i'm not i'm not uh Thirding your paycheck, uh, take it up with Joe Biden. He's the one doing yeah, it. Yeah. Well, the thing, but the thing about tipping though is, Ronnie, that uh, you know, when I'm in the tipping situation, when I'm the tipper in a tipping situation, I do make the policy. You know what I mean? If you if you want these fat stacks, if you want that, if you want that ten percent, which is the most I ever tip, if you want that ten percent, you're gonna have to work for it. You know, that's my policy. Uh, so yes, Mo- so uh, most, I, I think most, <laughs> most of your lines could have verbatim been taken from a David Brooks column. 
<laughs> when I, when I'm taking my befuddled working class uh, laundry woman to the nice sandwich restaurant, and she's confused by the words they have for ham. I know that I need to have the, the, the best uh, service possible. So I'm going to be withholding this 25 cents, madam. Oh, boy, David Brooks. I haven't thought about that guy in a while. All right. Well, uh, the, so anyway, that settles it. Of course, we, uh, as always, we have conclusively drawn the ultimate conclusions about tipping. Uh, I, I really can't tell whether we ended up uh, pro or con on that, but believe me. Ronnie wins as usual. And, and, and the last word. Yes. <laughs> that was the, the last word on, on all of this. And thank you so much for joining us in the Thronder Dome. Uh, we are, uh, well, yeah, as always, we're looking forward to the, the next exciting episode in, uh, in our recap of uh, Timothy Zahn's uh, towering masterpiece, Heir to the Empire. Uh, so uh, next episode, be on the lookout. We'll be covering chapters 17, 18, and 19 if you're reading along at home. Uh, or actually, if you're reading along at home, hey, return that ebook. I need it. For a project that I'm doing, this one right now, uh, and anyway, we'll be we'll be back next time, hopefully with some more insights from uh, from Mister Zahn himself. But I feel like we did a pretty good job parsing this text without any uh, you know assistance from any artist statements or anything like that. But uh, thank you as always. My I, I have been Doctor Daniel Dotty and uh, my my uh, uh, co-host Ronnie Gardaki. Uh, say good night to the folks, Ronnie. Good night, folks. All right, we'll see you later.